You're listening to Stage Combat, a mental health story of what really happened behind the scenes at the Goodspeed Opera House in East Haddam, Connecticut, during its 2019 production of Billy Elliot, the musical. Stage Combat is a true story of the narrator's personal experience during his mental health journey from 2019 to 2023. This podcast contains actor portrayals of actual events. The names of the members of the cast of Billy Elliot have been changed. Stage Combat contains strong language and addresses mental illness. Check the show notes for more details. Haywood Productions LLC offered Goodspeed Musicals, Inc., and the Goodspeed Opera House Foundation, Inc., the opportunity to include a statement in each episode of Stage Combat, including an option to deny the events as depicted. They declined. Haywood Productions also offered Goodspeed's artistic director and managing director the opportunity to appear on this podcast to discuss the narrator's account of his experience at the Goodspeed Opera House. They both declined. It's September 28th, 2019, and I'm in the stage right wing of the Goodspeed Opera House. I've just collapsed on stage and sobbed in the arms of my understudy. Somehow, I'm standing up. And now someone, I don't know who, is putting tap shoes on me and a tutu over my jeans and flannel shirt. Yes, a big, white, fluffy ballerina tutu. My eyes are wet and red from crying, and I feel like I've been hit by a truck. If I can just hold it together to get through this finale, I can then go flop down in the stairwell, stage left. In a moment, I'm supposed to move out onto the stage. The audience will laugh and applaud because they think it's funny seeing dad in a tutu. But before I do, I look across the stage. There's a 25-year-old man with tightly wound curly hair looking at me. He's the man at the center of my collapse tonight. The man at the center of the chaos at the Goodspeed Opera House. This is season one, episode three of Stage Combat. All about Chad. Seven weeks earlier. It's August 12th, 2019, and I'm in the Broadway Theater District on a sunny day in New York City. The cast of Billy Elliot has been instructed by Goodspeed to catch a hired van for the two and a half hour drive to East Haddam, Connecticut. Have you lived in Connecticut? <laughs> I've lived in New York my whole life. There's commotion, hellos, and a ton of baggage to load up. Do you need help getting that in? Yeah, yeah. I, no, let me help. Let me help. I meet Chad, a, uh, a 25-year-old replacement actor who was hired two weeks prior to the start of rehearsals of Billy Elliot. He's to play Tony, my character's 18-year-old son. I was told the original actor cast in the role dropped out for a Broadway job. Chad and I are seated next to each other in the front of the van. The cast is friendly and outgoing, 
the chat seems aloof, quiet. We talk about his family in Ohio on the ride to Connecticut. He tells me how he forgot to bring in a song to his audition for Billy Elliot, The Musical. (laughs) Chad thinks that's funny. The next day is the first day of rehearsals and orientation at the Goodspeed. We're all in a big rehearsal room at tables forming a giant square. I've been seated next to Chad. I see director Gabriel Barry point to the two of us while speaking to Lauren, the assistant director. He's saying something about us being father and son. Lauren flashes a big smile. A few moments later, Gabriel Barry tells the cast what personally drew him to Billy Elliot. It's a family drama at its core, but that family is the community as well. And what touches one of them touches all of them. From the opposite side of the room is a person who says she's the general manager of the Goodspeed. It's 2019, and the Me Too movement is in full force across the country, albeit far too late. The general manager gives a very blunt Me Too talk. She emphatically tells the cast, You don't want to receive a call from me. She starts talking about having an open door policy to report things. If anyone says something you don't like, my door is open. For instance, hmm, I don't like the way the actor playing dad talks to me. Wow. I'm the actor playing dad. (laughs) Chad thinks that's very funny. This is my first day at work, and the general manager is using me as an example for misconduct? And what? Sexual misconduct? Okay. Welcome to the good speed. Once we begin rehearsals, I learn more about Chad. Because quiet Chad is actually not quiet at all. Honestly? He begins to talk. I'm not sure why I was called in this morning. A lot. I've been sitting on my ass all morning. I learned that Chad is in his second professional job as an actor since graduating from college. It's the top-ranked theater program in the country. I got my first job right out of that. I learned that Chad doesn't like the way the creators of Billy Elliot wrote his role. They did a terrible job writing the role of Tony. I just hate it. I mean, he's so... One-dimensional. I learned that Chad and director Gabriel Berry disagree about how Chad should perform his role. I hate the way Gabriel Berry wants me to play Tony. So, yeah, I won't be doing that. Chad (laughs) talks about his Broadway national tour. He tells a room full of people how he felt about one of the child actors on that tour. I hated that kid. I hated that little twat so much. Chad brags he's never had to wait in line on the sidewalk in New York City for equity principle auditions known as EPAs. He brags about this in front of other actors in Billy Elliot who have had to wait in line for auditions known as EPAs. I got my agent just out of college, so my agent just gets me the appointments and calls me up, and then I just go. It's so awesome. I would so hate having to wait in those lines. Oof. As rehearsals get underway, Chad, I think, maybe, but who can really say, 
appears to take a liking to me. And he starts to confide in me. I really like doing edibles. <laughs> How often do you do those? Um, every night. <laughs> Chad talks to me about possibly cheating on his girlfriend while she's away in New York City. He's eyeing one particular female member of the cast. Oh my gosh, that ass. Mm. <laughs> he asks me if I cheat on my husband. No, I say. Chad asks, Why not? And he seems legitimately confused that I don't. One night at around 10.30, Chad's out at a bar with some guys from the cast. They send me a video of Chad teasing me about a stage combat move I had trouble with earlier in the day. It's pretty funny, no, actually. I got it. Because I did have trouble. I just gotta punch it. Ah! No, let me try again. I just... Ah! I got it. I think I got it. Soon, I start to notice something about Chad. To tap into my working-class coal miner character, I've been wearing to rehearsals work boots, flannel shirts, and jeans. Chad's been living in sneakers, t-shirts, and gym shorts. But one day, Chad starts showing up to rehearsals in flannel shirts and jeans. How's it going? And he makes a point to show me his brand new work boots. Look at what I got. I say, oh, boots, like mine. That afternoon, Chad asks me, Would you like to go hiking in the woods with me sometime, Sean? He sounds apprehensive, uncertain, like a kid asking someone to play with him and hoping they'll say yes. But he's not a kid. He's a 25-year-old man who just started dressing like me. And my gut, My inner voice is telling me something doesn't feel right about this. So no, I don't go hiking in the woods with him. As rehearsals progress, Chad gets louder. I'm not a child. That's Chad having an outburst. He's upset because the stage manager won't let him go to a costume fitting. Were you guys just making fun of me? Okay. That's Chad having another outburst. He thinks some guys in the cast are judging him for twerking. What is that supposed to mean? You know what? I'm done. And that's Chad. He's upset because... Actually, I have no idea what this is about. But I do know no one else in this large cast of 26 people is behaving like this. And I start to feel that Chad is bringing that energy to the stage combat sequences in the show. Billy Elliot is a violent show. Goodspeed brought in an off-Broadway fight director to create the show's many stage combat sequences. I have three of these sequences. All of them are with Chad. One is especially long and dangerous because it involves Chad shoving me in the chest, punching me in the stomach, 
and throwing my body around the stage. And Chad is using a lot of force in these combat moves. And I wonder, is this because of his temperament? Or his inexperience? Or both? One day, I'm concerned that I may have accidentally used too much force in a combat move with Chad. I ask him, was that too hard? Chad replies, oh, no, 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 no. You can manhandle my ass as hard as you want. I think to myself, that is not how you do stage combat. And I start to wonder, should I be worried? Because Gabriel Berry has driven it into his young, impressionable cast that he wants his production to be gritty I'm asking all of you and to visceral. Really look for the things you can personally use, if not the circumstances of the play itself, to substitute what's happening and really bring your own experiences to the work and stage. Rage and anger. I need you to bring rage and anger to the stage. The emotional demands of bringing Dad to life have been wearing on me, particularly given Gabriel Berry's propensity to run scenes over and over. And with two boys playing Billy, the Billy scenes have to be run twice as many times. Sometimes, I'm just a mess of tears in the scenes as the script requires, and I just have to stay in it as I run it again and again. It's okay. I'm used to playing emotional roles. It's in my wheelhouse, and it's something I'm trained to do. But it is really weird that when I'm doing this kind of scene work, there's really no support. No one is saying, how are you doing? Do you need a break? I just do it. And everyone moves on, kind of like I'm a robot. The studio rehearsals for Billy Elliot are coming to an end. The night before our final studio run-through, I walk over to the opera house to watch the musical that's currently playing. Chad shows up next to me at the bar prior to the curtain. I had been keeping my distance from him once I started seeing his outburst, not wanting to be caught in his drama. But tonight... Chad smiling. I tell the bartender just add his drink to my bill. Chad doesn't thank me, but at least he seems more relaxed. Maybe he's settling in. Chad and I air toast our glasses together. Our final run through of the show before moving into the opera house is a success. Everyone seems to be working together in a unified company way. The show has some pacing issues, but things are clicking, and I've become more confident in my scenes. I feel like I know this coal miner character inside and out. My months of preparation are paying off, and it's just where you want to be as an actor before heading into technical rehearsals, before the orchestra, the costumes, and the set pieces are all thrown at you. During the final studio run-through, Chad flubs a line in one of our final scenes. He was supposed to say to me, 
he's just a bairn. That's Jordy dialect for boy. Instead, he says, He's just a boy. I'm not sure why, but something about the delivery seemed funny to a very exhausted cast. To Chad, who's trying not to break character. To me. To Gabriel Berry, who is chuckling. It's like when the actors on a sketch comedy show almost laugh. At the time, I thought, great. Finally, Chad is able to laugh at himself. The next morning, Gabriel Berry is giving out notes to the cast from that last run-through. He gets to his notes for the scene where Chad flubbed his line. I casually say, hey, are we going to change the line in the script to he's just a boy? I look over at Chad, who's seated in the back of the room, and I smile at him. But he's not smiling back. He's looking down at his phone, and he's shaking his head. Uh Uh-oh, I think to myself. I guess I shouldn't have said that, but he thought it was funny yesterday because he was laughing yesterday, but today, not so much. No worries, let me just fix this, right now. I say to Chad across the room, Hey, I am so sorry. Chad still sits there, steaming, mumbling something. The woman sitting next to him says to him pretty loudly, He said he was sorry. Chad explodes in front of everyone. He's not fucking sorry. I have no idea what just happened. Where is all this anger coming from? This rage? Why is it directed at me? When the notes session ends, I move over to a bench next to the wall to take a moment. Three different cast members walk by at different times. They each give me a silent look. One look says, oh boy. One says, yep. The last look says, what the fuck? Billy Elliot was my 28th professional contract as an actor with Actors' Equity Association in an industry that is filled with egos, jealousies, and lots of baggage. You learn to see the red flags about other actors. At 4 a.m. the next morning, I suddenly woke up. I was hunched over. There were sharp pains in my abdomen. I felt like there was a knife slicing down the front of my brain. This was no longer just a red flag. It was my own body. And it was telling me I might be in danger. Haywood Productions offered The Goodspeed the opportunity to include a statement within this episode. The Goodspeed declined. Goodspeed's artistic director and managing director declined an invitation to appear on this podcast to discuss the narrator's account of his experience at the Goodspeed Opera House. Coming up on the next episode of Stage Combat, a mental health story. Director Gabriel Berry chose Aaron to be the fight captain. So I was surprised when Aaron told me in the dressing room that we shared together. Um, I have a long-standing problem dealing with conflict. 
but Chad is still sighing and huffing. <sighs> I didn't do anything. That wasn't too hard. I've done enough stage combat in my career to know that when an actor says in real time they've been hit too hard or they've had the air knocked out of them, that's not up for debate. And the fact that Chad wants to debate this is frightening. So I tell Chad, I don't feel safe on stage with you. I don't feel safe on stage with you. Stay tuned for a post-show talkback with Sean and his guest, psychologist Dr. Michelle Sherman. The body can't tell if you are being an actor or if you're being yourself when you're getting into a mode of uh, high levels of anger or sadness or whatever the emotion might be. The heart rate, the blood pressure, all those things are the same. And so it's a significant toll on your mind and, and psyche and body to keep going to those places, sometimes seven, eight times a week. Uh, so the demands can be great. That's coming up now. Hello, listeners. This is Sean Hayden, and welcome to our post-show talkback for episode three. I'm so delighted that we have with us renowned clinical psychologist, Dr. Michelle Sherman, joining us for our talkback. Welcome to Stage Combat, Dr. Sherman. Thank you so much, Sean. I'm happy to be here. Dr. Sherman, I learned about you while I was doing research for this podcast. I was wondering if there were any psychology studies about the psychological effects that acting has on performers. So I was really happy to come across your 2021 study for the American Psychological Association. Yeah. It's called Spotlight on Issues of Mental Health and Musical Theater and Ways Psychologists Can Help Perspectives of Theater Professionals. And my understanding is that in that study, you took a sampling of theater professionals in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, where you're from, and you asked them about how they go about performing their roles and particularly the effects of portraying characters that are undergoing mental health crises. Yeah, they were a variety of actors, directors, musical directors, lots of different folks who uh, were universally uh, eager to do this and share their experiences and perspectives. It sounds like there was sort of a hunger to want to be heard. Absolutely. Yeah. We interviewed these folks at the beginning of COVID, actually, and so really heard them talking about not only the impact of these shows that can have considerable emotional themes on the audience, of course, uh, but also on them as, as performers and the toll that it can take emotionally as they connect to these really uh, intense places within themselves. Because, you know, the body can't tell if you are being an actor or if you're being yourself when you're getting into a mode of uh, high levels of anger or sadness or whatever the emotion might be. The heart rate, the blood pressure, all those things are the same. And so it's a significant toll on your mind and, and psyche and body to keep going to those places, sometimes seven, eight times a week. Uh, so the demands can be great. Can I break that down just a little bit? Yeah. For instance, if just in real life, if you have a big cry or you have a big argument with your, your partner or friend, whoever, Many times you feel that sort of, you feel spent, you feel emotionally, sometimes physically affected by that. So is what these participants were telling you that that same effect on the body is felt by them as they're performing these roles on stage? 
the body doesn't know the difference. <laughs> and so, yeah, it can be exhausting. And therefore, many of them talked about, gosh, this can really impact my emotional well-being when I'm not on the stage because it's hard to separate. It's hard to turn that off and then go into my daily life and things like that. So, yeah, it really uh, can take a toll and be pretty challenging. I think that's something that maybe people not within the theater industry realize. I remember a moment we were running the show Billy Elliot, a big emotional scene where I'm, I'm sitting on the edge of the stage and there's tears coming down my face. And one of the parents of the children in the show said, oh, I was watching up close and you're really going through it. And I said, yes. I think you're right. People think you're just like putting on a role and acting when actually is real human emotions that you're experiencing such the audience can really connect with that. Absolutely. And that's, that's hard to just turn off, especially the number of times you have to do it per week. Some people find it hard to turn off in their relationships as well. It's hard to kind of turn off that role, that character. You know, one of your participants, uh, this quote really stood out to me. She said, acting is taxing on you as an individual. You've got to go to those vulnerable and those dark places because you've got to make the audience believe what you're talking about. And so you've just got to dig deep. What comes from the heart reaches the heart. Isn't that cool? I know. I love that quote myself. I think that's beautifully said. Yes. Absolutely. It's so true. It's true. So let's talk about something you were sort of alluding to is uh, the effect that the acting can sort of bleed over into your personal life. And I know you're a big proponent of setting boundaries for yourself and derolling. Can you tell our listeners sort of what you mean by those terms? Yeah, I think both of them are important and easier said than done sometimes. <laughs> but it's like after I finish my show, I'm taking off my makeup or taking off my costume. How can I kind of say, okay, I'm closing that, I'm turning that off, and I'm going to set a boundary so that I can then go home and take off and be my role of Michelle Sherman in my life, my relationships. And I think people sometimes have rituals for how they do that. Some people perhaps use it uh, through music and listening to music. Some people do it through silliness and being just funny back in the dressing room and just kind of re-engaging everyday life through laughter or joking or humor, which is wonderful. I think people sometimes even have mantras or self-statements that they say to kind of, I'm leaving this here, I'm leaving the theater, the drive or walk or commute home can be a time of kind of taking that hat off and re-entering into my own self. Now, again, emotions don't necessarily work quite so easily in terms of that turning off, but I think it's important to come up with rituals. And the actors I spoke to said, you know what, Michelle, no one taught us how to do this. <laughs> and so the difficulty in never having learned or been taught or socialized how to do this, I think shows a real opportunity in our education, in our theaters, for helping people learn how to do that. Yeah, I agree with that. What I really appreciated with the participants, a lot of them were just saying, I wish someone would give us some training on how to separate what's happening on stage with the personal life. It took me many years of sort of figuring out that myself, you and I have talked about this many times, Michelle, that my role of derolling was because I was playing this toxic masculinity figure in the world of coal mining, was to listen to common music. And then I would listen to the Spice Girls <laughs> because it was so far away from what I was playing. It's awesome. <laughs> And it was silly. I think the silliness is like a really good thing to key into. Yeah. And then I also, you know, we had housing just a five minute walk away, but it was important to me to shower at the theater. And there was a feeling of really just shaking off that character so that I could go home as just Sean. Absolutely. I think those rituals and being intentional about 
what you're doing and why you're doing it. Uh, to be able to set, you know, that boundaries. Like, okay, this is me in my professional role, and now this is me. And honestly, it's not that different from therapists. You know, we hear a lot and take a lot of stories and pain, and for us as well, that drive home or whatever else can be a time of I'm setting a boundary and compartmentalizing that, and now I can go into my personal life not carrying all that stuff. So it can be similar in other professions in which we engage with people in really high levels of emotions. Can I ask you something else that I think, you know, has been a trend in theater for some time? And I think this comes to the topic of the demands of theater acting is that it has become so cinematic in a lot of ways, the sudden shift in scenes. So whereas I think there was a time you could do a scene, walk off stage, decompress. I know what was really hard for me and Billy Elliot was playing this dark place for about two hours. And then there's a sudden cinematic shift on stage where I change costumes on stage. Someone literally, someone literally handed me a washcloth to wipe the tears and to oh. blow my nose <laughs> on stage. And then, <laughs> and then I had to walk down stage and I was in a comedy. Wow. So the body has no way yeah. to decompress, even take a breath. And so you really have to take your time after a performance to really process what you just went through for three hours. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so artificial, isn't it? Because <laughs> in your experience, it's like no one just goes from that to happy. And, but in theater, you do, or in movies, you do. Um, and so this this is not reality. So yeah, intentionally taking that time afterward is so important. Is there anything else about your study that you uh, wish people knew or is a surprise to you? Yes. Every single person has said that they had, of the people that I had interviewed, none of them had ever had behavioral health support. When you say behavioral health support, are we referring to a behavioral health consultant? Yeah, generally some mental health professional um, who has some knowledge of theater, because it wouldn't be helpful probably to anyone if they didn't have some, they don't have to be an actor, I don't think themselves, um, but have some awareness of that. And the role is not to go in and do therapy with people. That's, of course, a, a different role, but someone who can be present, be available, be checking in, be talking about what may be particularly challenging things, talking about some of these skills we've talked about, about boundaries and de-rolling mutual support, all these sorts of things that I think there's a great potential uh, for someone in a mental professional role to show up and be a tremendous support to not only the cast um, and perhaps the audience, but to the production team who then know, okay, we've got someone taking care of our people. I absolutely agree with you. And unfortunately, we did not have such a person in the production of Billy Elliot and the story that we're telling. And I think behavioral health consultants um, this is something that we should be advocating for all theaters to make a part of their productions. Absolutely. Dr. Sherman, thank you so much for being with us. We hope to have you back in future episodes, but you've given us a lot to think about. And Sean, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. Dr. Michelle Sherman earned her PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Missouri, Columbia. She's a fellow of the American Psychological Association and is board certified in couple and family psychology. She was recently named the Family Psychologist of the Year by the Society of Couple and Family Psychology of the American Psychological Association, and she's published over 75 articles in peer-reviewed journals. She's currently in private practice as a psychologist in Minneapolis. Remember, this conversation and this podcast should not be considered a substitute for medical or mental health advice. So if you are experiencing any medical or mental health issues, please seek independent medical advice from a healthcare professional. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. 
be sure to join us for episode four. This podcast is called Stage Combat. And in the next episode, we're going to take you right into Stage Combat. Episode four is two mini episodes, Solidarity Roadkill and Fight Call. In our post-show talkback, Dr. Elisa Hurwitz will be back with us. We're going to be talking about consent in our workplaces and how that issue affects our mental health. Stage Combat, a mental health story, is a production of Haywood Productions, LLC. This episode was recorded and edited by Andrew Lin. And it was directed and read by me, Sean Hayden. A special thank you to Dr. Michelle Sherman for joining us and also to the incredible voice actors featured in this episode. Please follow us on Facebook, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Stage Combat the Podcast and on Instagram at Stage Combat the Podcast IG. And as always, we would love to hear from you. Your comments, questions, maybe you'd like to share your own experience. Email us at stagecombatthepodcast at gmail.com. I hope today and every day brings you an opportunity to claim your story. I'll meet you over at episode four. If you or someone you know is in crisis or contemplating self-harm, you can reach out to the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline by simply dialing or texting 988. That's 988. Mental health assistance is also available through the National Alliance on Mental Illness. It's a free nationwide peer support service providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. You can call the helpline at 1-800-950-6264 or text HELPLINE to 62640. That's 1-800-950-6264 or by text to 62640.